your Locked On The Hockey Jets, your daily podcast on the Winnipeg Jets. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Good evening and welcome to the Locked On Winnipeg Jets podcast. I'm your host, Harrison Lee, an avid Winnipeg Jets fan and an online blogger. You can follow me on Twitter at HLLivingLocal and follow our podcast Twitter at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets. I hope you are enjoying this Friday afternoon or evening, depending on what time of day you are listening to this at. It's finally the weekend after what's been a fairly eventful week full of NHL stuff, new video game releases and awards, and all the fun stuff that your heart could desire. A nice little bit of change of pace after a stressful couple of months. On tonight's episode, we are going to be briefly continuing our most creative playmaker series, and in addition, we'll also go over some of the NHL's plans for a relaunch for next season, which sound like they are basically finalized, but with some very curious caveats that maybe you weren't anticipating. We'll talk about what some of these caveats might mean for the Jets, and then, at the very end of the episode, I thought it would be a little bit of fun to talk about the brand new game Cyberpunk and whether or not it's worth your time, because there are a lot of dissenting opinions out there, and I think it's one of those games that, for the right person, is more than they could have ever asked for. But before we get too far, let's start off with the NHL's return to play plan for the 2021 season, which sounds like we are starting to near the opening weeks. Four proposed divisions have now formed, and I think they are, uh, for the most part, pretty okay. They're a little bit strange because of how the NHL is going to reorganize this. I have a feeling that this sort of structure probably is only temporary for this upcoming season, which is expected to be around 56 games. The four realigned divisions first start with some sort of weird metro division, which includes Boston, Buffalo, New Jersey, the Islanders, the Rangers, Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, and Washington. As you can imagine, you know, Buffalo is probably thinking that it drew the shortest stick here because this is a murderer's row division, and now Boston joins the Metro, which for New Jersey and the Sabres is not exactly what you want to be seeing. These teams are frankly going to pummel the crap out of each other and play at an extremely high level with a lot of, I would imagine, pretty high-scoring games along with some really defensive masterclasses that we're used to seeing from Boston. But this is going to be a very weird division. I mean, you've got a couple of really heavy teams like uh, Pittsburgh, the Capitals, Philadelphia, the Islanders were in the running last season, although I don't really know if they'll be able to repeat their success this year. Throwing Boston into the mix, though, is just pretty chaotic, and it obviously omits a couple of teams that have traditionally been in the Metropolitan Division that have now shifted over to, I don't even know what this division would be called. It includes Carolina, Columbus, Detroit, Chicago, Florida, Minnesota, Nashville, and Tampa Bay. It's a very curious mixture of some Atlantic Division teams, the Metro, the Central, and, you know, I don't really 100% know what you would name this. It's some sort of weird composite. Generally speaking, I don't think that any team other than Tampa Bay and Carolina really frighten anyone in this division, but I think the rest of the teams are probably not super happy that they'll have to play those two on a more consistent basis. The third rumored division includes Anaheim, Arizona, Colorado, Dallas, Los Angeles, San Jose, the Blues, and the Golden Knights. This is a a fairly competitive division. I think the addition of some of the Central Division's top teams moving into what is essentially a modified Pacific Division is going to make that a pretty tight race. Obviously, teams like the Sharks and the Kings and and, uh, Anaheim are not really competitive squads, but you know, they will have to put up a bit of a stiffer challenge against some of these really top-end teams like the Avs, and maybe a, a tougher Stars team. We'll have to see what Dallas does. I'm not 100% sure if they can really repeat their success from last season, but you never know. 
And then the last division that we've got going is Vancouver, Edmonton, Calgary, Winnipeg, Ottawa, Toronto, and Montreal, which, again, not super shocking. They've been talking about doing an entirely Canadian division for a couple of weeks now. It seems more and more like this is is exactly how it's going to be. But, and I can't exactly find where the tweet was, there was a, a reporter yesterday who said that it sounds like these teams are all going to be playing their matches in division, which is interesting. Usually we have cross-divisional games, you know, throughout the regular season, but this year it doesn't sound like they're doing that, and that does have an impact on the playoff structure. Because of the issues with crossing the border for, you know, Canadian and non-Canadian teams alike, well, the NHL is planning to do all of the games for the playoffs in division until they have to eventually address, like, a Stanley Cup Finals or something. I don't 100% know what this means for the Canadian division because, you know, the other divisions aren't really needing to cross the border until they match up in a potential Stanley Cup Finals or, or semifinals situation. I'm not even 100% sure how all of this would work, but it just seems like the NHL is going to be kicking this can down the road until they have a little bit clearer of a picture of how you might cross the border, and maybe if by that time vaccines are ready, travel restrictions will be slightly eased. Speaking of vaccinations, I think there's been a lot of controversy, and rightly so, over the fact that the NHL will be one of the first groups to receive vaccinations, which, in my opinion, is... I don't know, it feels uh, kind of uncomfortable. I feel like if the NHL is going to resume the season they should not be the first people to get vaccinated. Obviously, I want to protect the players, but in this instance, I would be very comfortable not having the start date as soon as January 13th if it meant that more important at-risk groups got vaccinations first. This just goes to show you how much money the NHL has to throw at scenarios like this, and the fact that they can just sort of buy their way out of the issue is, is a little bit disturbing to me. I'm not really comfortable with it, and uh, obviously... You know, at the cost of having an earlier season, you know, maybe other people who need this vaccination first coming from Pfizer aren't going to get it before the NHLers do. And I'm not really sure that I feel on board with that particular plan. As far as the uh, on-ice stuff is concerned, Winnipeg obviously is going to have a bit of a challenging time. I, I do think that they can make the postseason picture because the Canadian division probably isn't going to be that strong, but some of these teams are squads that they've traditionally struggled with. You know, the Montreal Canadiens, even though they're not that great beyond having really good play-driving ability, you know, they've always been a pest for the Jets. Winnipeg's back end has struggled against their pressure. That could be a bit of an issue. You've also got the Maple Leafs, who have at times been a bit of a powerful offense. You know, their defense in goaltending situations may be not ideal, but the Jets aren't exactly in much better straits outside of Connor Hellebuck. So I think if, if Winnipeg wants to point fingers here, they will probably be pointing them inwardly at first to try and figure out if there's a way for them to get competitive advantages against some of these teams that they are going to have a bit of a tough time with. I think for the most part, the Canadian division doesn't super scare me, but there are a couple of annoying teams that have given the Jets problems in the past. That said, I still think that it's possible the Jets make the playoffs. I just don't know how likely it is that they get very far. The Canadian division is the only easy division here, and once they move out of this division into a larger playoff structure, should they advance that far, things get considerably more difficult. To be honest, I don't even know what to expect from this upcoming season. It's going to be unlike any in NHL history, so we just kind of have to you know, cross our fingers and hope for the best as far as health and uh, Winnipeg's playoff hopes are concerned. But for now, that wraps up our current NHL 2021 plan updates. In just a little bit, we'll talk about some of the top playmakers in world hockey and football and even later still you'll hear a little bit about why cyberpunk 2077 might be worth your time before then though i wanted to tell you a little bit about the fine folks at built and their brand new product built go if you're a longtime listener of this podcast by now you know i'm a big fan of the built bar 
If you haven't had one before, it's a protein bar that's more like a candy bar with a dark chocolate exterior and a soft, chewy interior. But like any great company, Built is looking to push the envelope of workout food innovation, and they're back and better than ever with Built Go. Every day we faced any number of obstacles and walls that we need to kick down to get our productivity in gear. And when I'm looking for a way to break my walls, I turn to Built Go. Built Go comes in one and a half ounce packages that you can put in your briefcase, your golf bag, or just about anything you need to suit your active lifestyle. It comes in three delicious flavors, including peanut butter honey, chocolate coconut, and chocolate mint. It's the perfect alternative to those nasty, sugary energy drinks you're used to and comes with none of the crash. Built Go is fortified with protein, beta-alanine, B3, honey, caffeine, B6, and B12, so you have healthy, sustainable energy all day. To place your order, visit BuiltGo.com and use promo code LOCKED and you'll get 20% off your next order. Again, don't forget to use promo code LOCKED for 20% off at BuiltGo.com during checkout. Let's go! Welcome back to this special edition of the Locked on Winnipeg Jets podcast. Earlier, we talked about the NHL's return to play plan, and throughout the rest of the week, we will continue to update any new circumstances that surround that. Uh, For the next episode, we'll also be continuing our most creative playmaker series, so be sure to keep an eye out for that later this weekend. For now, though, I thought I'd talk about some of Tampa Bay's most creative playmakers, which they have a lot of candidates. And we'll start off with one of the most easy-to-point-out, recognizable names in all of hockey at this point, and that is Braden Point. This guy, for a couple of seasons, put himself on the map, but I don't think people understood just how good and how creative Braden Point was at both being an elite playmaker, an elite finisher, and franchise in just about all of these different categories. When you talk about players who dominate and control the ice in ways that very few other players can, you talk about McDavid's, Nathan McKinnon's. These are the sort of players and skaters that tend to attract a lot of attention. And then you look at Tampa Bay and you think, well, they've got tons of players. They've got Nikita Kucherov, Victor Hedman. They have all of these really gifted scorers and playmakers. But Braden Point might stand above all of them. This is a guy who, in almost every shift, continues to create, dominate possession, and use his incredibly good spatial awareness, uh, stick handling, his very smooth edge work, and his near-pitch-perfect positioning to get into spots where he just presents the most threat to every single goaltender and defensive structure. Every time Braden is on the ice, he just seems to elevate Tampa Bay's level of threat by a magnitude of at least 10. Braden is, right now, perhaps the best overall center. He dominates every offensive shift. He's defensively responsible because he's so strong on the puck and back checks well. He's somebody who has excellent crossing passing. His vision is elite. His creativity on the puck and off the puck are both fantastic and I think people started to understand just how dangerous he was when he was playing throughout this postseason and into the Stanley Cup finals when they won the title. Point's always been a guy who can do this stuff but I don't know how many eyes he had on him because Tampa Bay I tend to think gets a little bit taken for granted. Like I said earlier they have such a wealth of offensive talent that it's easy to overlook players like Point but for some reason he just put on an absolute clinic to the level of you know, not really being able to hide himself anymore, and everyone now or less more in agreement that he might be the best overall player in the league, which is obviously a very hotly debated uh, commodity right now. I think a lot of people are thinking of guys like McDavid and McKinnon, and and, uh, now, you know, Point is in that conversation and perhaps actually meets the criteria to be considered best overall. Tampa's got quite a few other really gifted playmakers, though, and one of them that tends to be a more industrious sort is Yanni Gord. This is a guy who has really good hands, very good skating, very good uh, vision and and spatial awareness, and also a good deal of physicality. Gord's not afraid to mix it up, and though he's not exactly the biggest guy, he seems to like to squeeze himself into areas where he can continue to be a really dangerous 
pesky kind of player. He's like a more hardworking, less flair-oriented version of Matthew Perot, and I think that that's something that goes a little bit under the radar for Tampa Bay. He's got such a little engine matched with a good deal of skill and a lot of strength and physicality that allows him to get into these tight spaces and create opportunities for both himself and his teammates. I use that phrasing a lot, especially when it comes to creative playmakers, because I think it's important that you not only set up teammates for, for good scoring opportunities, but also put yourself in those same positions. I think if you can do both, it adds so much more threat to your overall game and opens up offensive opportunities that don't normally exist. You want to be as multi-dimensional of a threat as possible, and I think Gord does that because, to be honest, some of his tool sets are not quite as well-rounded as some of the others. There's a reason he fits more of like a, a middle six or bottom six role than he would an immediate first line deployment or something. I think you could use him on a second line, but I think it's best when he's allowed to get, you know, a certain amount of minutes a night and play more of a matchup counter. Tampa has the kind of depth where guys like Gord can really thrive because they sort of just throw them out against matchup lines that they want to and they can deploy them in almost any order and uh, honestly amount of time on ice that they want because these guys are good enough to play in all situations. Gord's effective at even strength, he can be a penalty killer, there's not much that he can't do and that sort of well-rounded tool set gives Cooper so much tactical flexibility. Even if Cooper doesn't always make the right decisions with his lineups or his in-game adjustments I have to say that he still does a pretty good job overall and guys like Gord fit his style of play perfectly. Perfectly. It certainly worked well enough to get a cup this year, even though arguably they should have had a cup in the past one to two seasons. The last playmaker we'll cover for this team is an interesting one because I think he tends to be a little bit more on the polarizing side, and it's not really a debate over his skill, but it's Nikita Kucherov, and I think where the debate comes in with him is that he's actually a pretty dirty player. I think Kucherov is a surprisingly you know, physical, slashy, hacky, scrappy kind of player, even though he has such a high skill level. He is starting to show elements of his game that remind me more of like a Brad Marchand than somebody that you would expect of, of a sniper of Kucherov's talent. He's somebody who possesses nearly peerless vision, incredible distribution, amazing stick handling, a lethal release, pretty alright edge work even if it's not the fastest stride, and next level skill along with elite playmaking sense, but it's also the part of his game where he starts to get very nasty that I also think has become a little bit more of his reputation than you'd expect. Kucherov is starting to play with a more aggressive edge, which is not something that I expected, or maybe I just haven't seen enough of him to realize that it's always been there, but like he will take hacks at guys and really go after them which is kind of interesting because it allows him to get into greasier areas, perhaps draw a penalty here and there. And even though a lot of it, I, you know, it's, it's dirty plays that I don't really condone or, or want to see in the game, it also has created opportunities for him where he's allowed to get into tighter spaces and really mess around with defenders by playing a bit more of an annoying, physically dangerous game. I don't think he should be doing it, but I'll tell you what, he seems to have a pretty good understanding of how to play with the rules and, and keep things just enough to where he's not going to get called for most of it, but he's still able to get away with some of these hacks and slashes that actually cause quite a bit of pain on the guys he's hitting. He's an odd player because he used to be a guy who I basically knew for being, a, you know, a franchise-level sniper, and now his game has become this weird, multifaceted troublesome playmaker who's also not afraid to mix it up and, and occasionally get into physical altercations. Cooper has a lot of these guys who aren't afraid to scrap and, and get into a little bit of a mix-up, but Kucherov developing that reputation is not something that I really expected. 
very interesting to see and, and ultimately a really interesting turn for the entire Tampa Bay team because they tend to pride skill and speed more than anything else. It's clear they've got that nasty little edge even now though. If you have any creative playmakers from the Lightning that you think that I've missed and you want me to cover, let me know and I will take a look at the next you know podcast segment. I'm sure Sorelli will be one name that's mentioned even though we don't even know if Sorelli is going to be around that team for much longer. Hopefully he is because I think uh, Tampa Bay is better with him, but you never know. In just a little bit, though, we will close out tonight's episode with a brief review of a sort for Cyberpunk 2077 and what I think you should expect and why it might be a game you consider buying even though it is pretty flawed. Welcome back to the Locked On Winnipeg Jets podcast. We are closing tonight's episode with some thoughts on the recently released Cyberpunk 2077. It's one of the biggest games of the year. It's something that I think a lot of people on this podcast probably have some level of interest in. You might be a little bit turned off by a lot of the dialogue and the reviews around it, though, because a lot of people have many different thoughts and opinions on a game that, for the most part, I think is is very misunderstood. I think the first thing to understand about Cyberpunk is it's a bit of a slow start. The opening, like, four to five hours are all introductory material, getting you a little bit to grips with how the game world works, some of the characters, and essentially setting the stage for what will eventually open up into a much bigger game with a lot more quests and, and side stories. And I think that's what I've taken away from my, you know, first ten or so hours into Cyberpunk, is that it's a game not really defined by the central campaign, but by a lot of the side story interactions. What it feels like is an open world short story collection where every time you go down like a different street or a corner, somebody's calling you with another little diversion that inevitably leads to some really interesting character beat. As far as like the voice acting and animation goes, this is like top level stuff. I really feel like cyberpunk has like this vibrancy and a liveliness to it, especially when it comes to dealing with a lot of the really important characters of the world or even just street gang members. Everyone has like a level of personalization and emotion to them that I think really lends credence to the narratives and short stories that you come across. All of them, for the most part, feel consistently engaging and introduce different little concepts and maybe some messages and stories here and there that are worth telling in this bizarre dystopian cyberpunk future. For all that the world building and, and side quests really offer, I think there are a couple of things that are stumbling blocks and I think the first thing is it's, it's still a pretty glitchy game. They've released a number of patches since launch uh, just a couple days ago, but even then, it is still a pretty buggy game. I regularly encounter weird little things like objects that just float in the air for no reason, occasionally buggy AI pathing, and just some oddities here and there that sort of remind you this is a hugely ambitious game made during COVID. It does feel a little bit underbaked, and I think that that does also extend a bit to the combat system. I think a lot of people were thinking that Cyberpunk was going to be more of a first-person shooter kind of action RPG in the style of like a, a more focused Borderlands, like a story-focused Borderlands, but that's not what this is. Cyberpunk is very much a more classical action RPG. Feels a lot like a, a Fallout game, if you will. And like the earlier Fallouts, when there was a lot of player agency and, and narrative-driven choice married to almost game-breaking bugs. The bugs here aren't quite as bad, and they're definitely not more, for the most part, than visual glitches, but there's still some weird stuff. Like, I, I regularly find items that I should be able to pick up and loot that for some reason I can't because the area just doesn't seem to really register. Combat is also a bit clunky, and the gunplay and stuff feels a little bit... I don't know, not not really impactful. It's, it's sufficient enough and it gets the job done, but I just don't really care for the combat as much. I think where I find a lot of my time and interest in is in the stories and cutscenes and discussions and conversations. I think that if that's what you're looking for, which is like just sort of roaming around and talking to people and doing jobs and taking on 
different quests and tasks, I think that's the way to think about it. You can lose yourself for hours just talking to people and hearing their stories and learning more about the world of Night City, and I think that that's where Cyberpunk really shines. For all of its other flaws and blemishes, the experiences you have and the atmosphere that the game builds, that's for me what really sells it as a special experience. If you've played any of Cyberpunk, let me know what you think in the thoughts below at HLLivingLoco or at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets on Twitter. That's going to do it for tonight's episode, though. As always, I thank you so much for listening, and stay tuned again for this weekend for another episode covering more creative playmakers. Have a great night, and as always, go Jets go!